You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. There are so many stories when it comes to true crime. You could literally tell stories that involve mystery, murder, solved or unsolved crimes, and the like forever without running out of stories. It's sad for sure because it goes to show that the world around us is always in some semblance of a shambles. There are people doing things that are inherently wrong every single day. This week, we're going to look at a story that has long been a mystery and has long been unsolved. The disappearances that we're going to talk about this week don't even have a certain correlation between them, aside from location, which is crazy after so much time has passed. Stories like this one are amazing because you can read and listen to so many opinions and so many retellings of this story, and your own creativity can take over. When you're left with what the hell happened here as your reaction to a true crime story, that is equally terrifying and intriguing. Hello, my name is Lance, and welcome to episode 85 of Gone But Never Forgotten, The Unsolved Disappearances in the Bennington Triangle. If you are familiar with folklore, or if you're someone who loves to dive into unknowns, there is little doubt that you have spent some time researching, or at the very least, have a passing idea of what the Bermuda Triangle is. However, something that I didn't know about until I started to research this case myself was a lesser-known area with a similar, if not smaller, following of people wondering what happened and what happens there. That area is known as the Bennington Triangle in Vermont. The Bennington Triangle is an area of southwestern Vermont where a number of people went missing between the years 1945 and 1950. The name was given to the area by American author Joseph A. Citro. The area that's included in the Bennington Triangle is centered upon Glastonbury Mountain and includes Bennington, Woodford, Shaftesbury, and Somerset. Glastonbury and Somerset were once upon a time thriving towns that centered on logging and industrial jobs. 
Towards the late 19th century, though, populations started to dwindle, and the towns themselves were actually unincorporated in 1937. Glastonbury is now known as a ghost town, which means that it is a deserted town that has very few or zero remaining people living within it. Glastonbury had a population of nine in the census that took place in 2020. The town has no local government, and a state-appointed supervisor actually oversees any affairs that may come up within the town. It was first founded in 1761, however population was very slow-moving. The first census in 1791, when Vermont became a state, listed only six families as living within the town. By the year 1800, there were eight families living in the town, but they were all different from the families that were living there only nine years earlier. The turnover for the town would continue through its early history. Things started to change after the Civil War as businesses that were building up in nearby Bennington wanted to use the vast timber resources that could be found in Glastonbury. By 1872, construction had begun on a railroad that would run up the mountain to make logging feasible. Population would reach 199 in 1870 and 241 in 1880. The rise and fall, though, would come quickly, as by the late 1880s, most of the mountain had been cleared of all of the mature and usable trees. In 1889, the railway would cease use, and by 1937, the population had dipped again to only seven people. Today, the area is mostly made up of untouched, pristine wilderness and is considered to be very remote. Frankly, to me, it sounds lovely. Who wants to move there with me? I guess your answer, though, might change as this episode goes on, so maybe don't answer that quite yet. Between the years of 1945 and 1950, six people would disappear in the area that surrounds Bennington. Most of the stories about the Bennington Triangle cover five stories, but we are going to add a sixth. Also of note, though, is the fact that if you expand the time frame, there really are many more cases of missing people in the area. The Vermonter actually reports that between the 1920s and the 1950s, approximately 40 people disappeared around Glastonbury Mountain. The first disappearance we're going to cover today would take place in November of 1943. This was the disappearance and the death of Carl Herrick. Carl's story is the one that's usually not discussed that happened in the time frame that we're covering. And that's because there was a body located and there was a cause of death given. Carl and his cousin Henry decided to go on a hunting trip that took them about 10 miles or 16 kilometers northeast of the ghost town of Glastonbury. While the two were hunting, they would get separated from one another, and Henry wound up not being able to find Carl at all. That same evening, Henry would contact authorities and report Carl as missing, and a search would take place that would extend over three days. 
The search came to an end when Carl's body was discovered. Carl was found only about 70 feet away from the campsite that the two men had set up, and Carl's rifle was leaned up against a tree nearby to his body, and it was noted that the gun had not been discharged, not one single bullet. There were bear tracks found nearby the body of Carl as well, so at first, many believed that Carl's cause of death was simply a surprise bear attack that may have occurred while he did not have his rifle on him. I think that for those reasons, many people don't include the story of Carl Herrick when they look into the Bennington Triangle. That cause of death, however, would seem to not be the true story here, because when the autopsy report came back, it didn't seem to line up with a bear attack. It was determined that Carl's cause of death was by way of being squeezed or crushed to death. His ribs had punctured his lung. It does seem pretty unlikely that a bear would squeeze someone to death. Carl's story, though, seemed not to be paid too much attention by people that lived nearby, but for some it only extended their beliefs in the lore of the area that stated that there was a Bigfoot or a Bigfoot-like creature that had been living in and tormenting those woods in the area since the 19th century. Two years later, on November 12th of 1945, a 74-year-old man named Mitty Rivers would disappear while he, too, was out on a hunting trip. He was hunting in the area of Long Trail Road and Vermont Route 9, and he was not alone. He was on the hunting trip with four other hunters who he was the guide for. See, Mitty was very familiar with the trail that they were on, as he had been in the area and on that specific trail many times in the past. Mitty was a hunting guide in the area. On the morning of November 12th, Mitty and his son-in-law, Joe Lozon, were walking up ahead of the rest of the group together as they reached a fork in the trail. At the fork, Mitty and Joe would split up, with Mitty telling Joe that he would only be going a short distance up the trail before he would return and join the rest of the group at camp for lunch. The area that Mitty was traversing alone is called Hell Hollow. The other men waited a long time, assuming that with his background, Mitty would reappear. But by 3 p.m., they started to realize that something must be wrong. The other men decided that they should start searching for Mitty, and of course did so. When they didn't find Mitty, or any evidence of him, they made the decision to contact authorities. A local group of volunteers, firefighters, and even the U.S. Army would search for Mitty for over a month, and unfortunately, they did not find him. The only clue that was found was one single rifle cartridge. The belief of the searchers was that Mitty had likely leaned over the stream and the cartridge had dropped from his pocket and into the water. Now, nearly 78 years later, no body was ever found and the case remains unsolved. Just over one year later, what is likely the most famous missing person case in Vermont's history would take place. 
Paula Weldon was an 18-year-old student who was attending Bennington College, which is located in Bennington, Vermont. Paula was living in Dewey House at the time that she disappeared. Paula decided to go for a hike on the Long Trail on the Sunday of Thanksgiving, which was December 1st, 1946. Most of her fellow students had returned to their homes to visit family for the long weekend. Paula left the school wearing an easy-to-see red jacket, and she entered the Long Trail near Glastonbury Mountain. When Paula arrived at the trail, she spoke with a few other hikers that were also in the area, and she left on her own for her hike. The last time that Paula was seen, based on what authorities know, was on the trail, where an elderly couple said that they saw her when they were walking, approximately 100 meters behind her. They said that she rounded a corner on the trail ahead of them, but when they rounded that same corner, she was nowhere to be seen, and they didn't see her again. When Paula set out on her hike, it was 50 degrees Fahrenheit, or 10 degrees Celsius, and the temperatures overnight there dipped down to 9 degrees Fahrenheit, or minus 12 degrees Celsius. People became aware that something was amiss when classes resumed the next day on Monday, December 2nd, and Paula did not show up for her classes. That set in motion a massive search party of more than 1,000 people, including most of the students at Bennington College. Aircraft were also utilized, and every law enforcement agency in the area sent people to help with the search. A $5,000 reward was posted, which is the equivalent of $78,000 today. And the FBI would even get involved in the disappearance, but... Again, sadly, no evidence was ever found of Paula. Paula's father opined at the time that perhaps Paula had a secret boyfriend that she either ran away with or perhaps had killed her. Her dad would leave Bennington and never return, and the disappearance of Paula is still open and unsolved to this day. There was a lot of criticism with this case, including from Paula's father, as people were upset and criticized law enforcement because there were no plans or sophisticated methods in place here to search for a person who went missing on those trails. The disappearance of Paula would serve as inspiration for a novel written in 1951 by Shirley Jackson called Hangus Man. Exactly three years to the day, on December 1st of 1949, one of the most mysterious disappearance cases that I have ever read about happened. A 68-year-old man named James E. Tedford was on board a bus that was headed to Bennington after he had gone to visit relatives in St. Albans, Vermont. James was a World War II vet who was living in Bennington at the Bennington Soldiers' Home. Witnesses on the bus said that they remembered James getting on the bus, and they even remembered seeing him on the bus as late as the last stop before Bennington. Somewhere between that last stop and the stop in Bennington, however, witnesses said that James completely vanished. 
Other people on the bus noticed that all of James's belongings were still on the bus, in the luggage rack, and there was also a bus timetable opened up on his empty seat. Obviously, this story is certainly strange, as it appears that a passenger on a bus vanished into thin air while in transit. But, if you're into that kind of paranormal thing... James would have disappeared from his seat while on the Route 7, right inside of the Bennington Triangle. Over the years, there has not been any explanation given, nor has there been any sign of James, and of course, rumors are rampant, with the most accepted conception being that James did vanish. There is, of course, the fact that James was not even reported as missing until a week after he disappeared from that bus. Um, And even though no trace of James was ever found, experts have said that there was certainly no evidence that he had simply dematerialized off of the bus. But for me, I have to wonder what kind of evidence you would expect to find if someone dematerialized. But I digress. Ten months later, on October 12th of 1950, an eight-year-old boy named Paul Jepson would be with his mom in a truck. He was last seen playing happily inside of his mom's truck while she left the truck to go and feed pigs at the dump where she and her husband were working as caretakers. When she returned to the truck, Paul was gone without a trace. Hundreds of people were brought together to put together a search party for the young boy, and a New Hampshire sheriff even brought with him a bloodhound to hopefully help in picking up Paul's scent. The dog was able to pick up Paul's scent, but at a crossroads nearby, he lost the scent suddenly. It was believed that Paul must have been picked up by someone who was driving by. Nothing was ever found of Paul, even though he too had been wearing a bright red jacket. Hauntingly, according to people that are familiar with both stories though, the highway that Paul sent disappeared from was also in that same vicinity of where James went missing just four years earlier. Sadly, the search and the case, like the other cases before it that we've talked about, went cold. There have not been any further developments in Paul's case over the years. Only 16 days after Paul vanished, a 53-year-old woman named Frida Langer and her cousin Herbert Elsner left the campsite that they'd been staying at near the Somerset Reservoir to go for a hike. While they were hiking, Frida slipped into a stream and she told Herbert that if he wanted to wait, she would quickly walk back to the campsite and get changed into another pair of dry clothes. Herbert agreed, but when she did not return, he started to get worried. Herbert would make his way back to the campsite, and he quickly realized that Frida had never made it back to the campsite at all. Nobody else on the site had seen her since the two had left together. Over the following two weeks, there would be five searches organized that involved 300 people. Helicopters, aircraft, and more. Frida, nor any trace of her, was found on any of those searches. 
Almost seven months later, on May 12th of 1951, Frida's body would be found three and a half miles from the campsite that they'd been staying on. Her body was found in the eastern branch of the Deerfield River in an area that had been searched when Frida disappeared. However, authorities did say that it was only lightly searched. There was not a cause of death that was able to be determined in Frida's case because her remains were found in awful conditions because of accelerated decomposition. So, there you have it. I've presented to you six cases within a very small area known as the Bennington Triangle of people going missing in weird circumstances and having no answers, even with two bodies having been recovered. So, what do you think? There's all kinds of folklore that's been centered on in this area, including UFOs, curses, Bigfoot, and so many more. According to Native American lore, Glastonbury Mountain, which is right in the middle of the triangle, is cursed. One legend from the Algonquin people in this area says that there is a stone that is hidden in the depths of the mountain that swallows up anyone that comes across it. Many even say that the mountain itself is feared by nature because there are not very many living creatures in that area at all. Silence is something that you hear people say to describe the area a lot. There are, of course, some strange parallels in these cases, such as wearing the color red, for example, and the fact that all of these disappearances happened in the last three months of the year and, believably, around mid-afternoon. All of these cases also took place very close together, within the triangle. Over the years, some have hypothesized that this is the work of a serial killer. One of the main sticking points to that belief, though, is that the victims range in age and sex, and that generally points against the modus operandi of a serial killer. However, in a desolate area that is not very inhabited, you could also argue that if there was a killer in the area, they may simply act when the circumstances allow for it. In other words, when you have a small pool of people to choose from, they may kill when they could, as opposed to having a particular type of person that they're looking to kill. There is obviously a chance as well that this is just a case of nature being nature. Whether that means that animal predators found them, or that they got lost and fell victim to the elements, or something in between, there certainly is a chance that these things happened close together because the Bennington Triangle falls in the wilderness. To make matters even more interesting and spooky, though, there has been a renewed interest and more victims in recent years. On September 17, 2019, the remains of a New York resident, Jessica Hildenbrandt, were found near the Somerset Reservoir. Her death was determined to have been a homicide. There were no leads, however, to who her killer was, but, hauntingly, Jessica's nickname was red. Then, in August of 2021, a man named Joseph Schoenig was found in his truck, also at the Somerset Reservoir, with a self-inflicted gun wound. 
Joseph had been missing for a couple of weeks and was found in his red pickup truck. So chime in on social media and let me know what you think. Is this a bunch of cases in a small area that is really not unusual if you look at any area of the United States or the world, really? Or is there something sinister going on in this area? One thing is for sure. If you ever find yourself inside of the Bennington Triangle for whatever reason, you may want to leave anything that you own that is red behind. If nothing else, that red seems to be some kind of omen that continues to come up in many, if not all, of the cases that happen in that mysterious area of Vermont. If you want to learn more about the Bennington Triangle, it was discussed in Season 3, Episode 8 of Weird or What with William Shatner. The episode is called Mysterious Vanishings. The events were also covered in Episode 67 of Lore. The title of the episode there is The Red Coats. I'll leave it there for you, and if you happen to have any stories about the Bennington Triangle, please feel free to reach out. I do find this place and this story to be particularly interesting regardless of what happened. Thank you for joining me here again on Gone But Never Forgotten, and until next week, don't forget to leave your red at home, be well, and be better. <laughs>